The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Good morning, Harvest. Can you hear me okay? Oh, good. I just want to say thank you so much for having uh, my family come in and uh, spend time with you. Uh, your pastor has been a huge blessing to us already and came in and, and spent some time with us in the training center down in Chicago and, and uh, talked a lot about preaching. So now to come in and preach here, as the pressure is on, he's spent so much time uh, with us. But thank you so much for having us, and it's a really joy to, to be with you. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, an example today. And uh, D.L. Moody once said that a, a good example is far better than a, a good precept. A good example is better than a good precept. And all he's saying there is that, generally speaking, it's going to be more impactful to see somebody do something more than just telling somebody how to do something. Now, I could bring you a, a manual, a thick manual. This is how you operate an automobile. And send that home with you and say, this is all you need, and, and go learn to drive. I, I don't want to do that to my kids, though. I wouldn't do that to my kids. I'd say, I'd, you may give them a manual to read, and I've got three girls coming, and I'll have to do that soon. I'll give you a manual to read, but how much more impactful would it be for, say, honey, come get on daddy's lap, and let's go for a drive, and let me show you how you, how you drive this thing, how you operate that. Let's spend a lot of time in the car together before you ever get out on, on a road. Lots and lots of, lots of time. And the harvest, we get that, and I'm so thankful that we do, that we believe that it's not just enough to be over here in the, uh, the tell-me-how zone or tell-me-how-to-do things. We say it's also it's so important to come over here to the show-me-how. Move from tell-me, you got to tell-me-how, but actually come over here, do life with me, get together with me, and show me how it is. And that's how it is so often with uh, the Christian life. And we, we grow through example. We grow through relationship. We grow through being around and other, one another's together. Well, Paul, Apostle Paul understood that. He understood that there's great power that comes with example. And he gives us two of those in Philippians chapter number 2. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 19. Philippians 2, verse 19. I'm reading for the New American Standard. Some of you probably have the ESV, I'm guessing. But New American Standard, Paul writes this. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interest, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. You know that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. He served like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you. And he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, even to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I've sent him all the more, 
eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray before we get going here. Father, we thank you for the time of worship. God, we thank you for these songs that we have have sung that are so uh, rich, Lord, with wonderful words, wonderful truths and theology about you, our God and Savior. And God, they are just timeless and they are good and rich. And we get so much that we can sing to you about them. We've sang and I pray that our hearts have been been rightly um, attuned to you and singing with joy and with the words that we've said accurately reflect what's going on inside of our hearts. And, And God, now as we turn our attention to your word, we pray you would take it. Lord, that you would drive your word deep into our hearts, that you might use it to change us. God, there is no, uh, nothing that I bring and, and nothing good about me that I bring to the table, Lord. The power that is in your word to change me and to change others. And we pray that you would do so, that we'd walk out today different because your word has gone forth and it has impacted our hearts, Lord. It has awakened us to the things of you and you've changed us and you've brought us low before you. Lord, we need that. We don't need a, a message. We need a, a message from you. So we pray that you would work this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're kind of jumping into the middle of Philippians and just kind of parachuting in. And that obviously means that a lot has already been said by the Apostle Paul and a lot is going to be said by the Apostle Paul. But so far in the first two chapters, Paul has, has been stacking up command after command after command and, and precept upon precept and instruction upon instruction. He's been telling them things like, hey, I want you to stand firm, united with one purpose and one cause. He told them, I want you to strive for the gospel and using those language like agonize and strive and give yourself over to that. He's talked about hard things like persevering uh, under suffering as well. He said things that are so hard in chapter 2 to prefer others above ourselves and to seek their interest and put their interest above our interest to look out for the interest of others and not just for the interest of ourselves. He says, have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, which... And have that same attitude in yourself. He said uh, to put off grumbling. He said to, to put off disputing. Just been stacking them over and over again. And if you're the Philippians, or maybe if you're us, and we're standing here today, and we're reading that, and it can, it can be, become easy for hope and confidence to do all of those things, to just melt away. He's like, this is, who could do all that? That is so hard. Who can be all that you're asking us and calling us to be and just melt in the shadow of that? And I think Paul understood that. It could seem impossible. He says, guys, I want to show you how this, is, how this can be done. I want to not just tell you what to do, not just tell me how over here, but show you how over here. I want to hold up two examples for you. I want to hold an example, Exhibit A of Timothy and Exhibit B of Epaphroditus, two men that this church at Philippi knew well, because I want to, to go from just telling you what to now showing you how. And he did it for this reason. And this is the, the big idea that I would want us to walk away from today, to know the answer to this question. He's been telling them to live for the gospel, live for the gospel. This is what it looks like. And now he's going to say, this is what it looks like to live for the gospel. Let me point you to these two examples and, and show you this is what it looks like to live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he gives us three things that are kind of in this section as he's telling about these, these two men. The first one is this. If we're going to live for the the gospel, we have to commit to discipleship. 
commit to discipleship. Look there in verse 19. Paul says, I, I'm wanting to send Timothy to you shortly. Paul is writing from Rome. He's in prison. He, he wants so much to go and to, to minister and to be with this church at Philippi that he cares about and loves. He wants to be there with them, but he can't because he's, he's chained up. It's impossible for him to go. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I'm going to send Timothy. He's going to go. He's going to minister to you. He's going to check on you. And then he's going to come back and he's going to tell me about how you are doing because I, I want to know. You say, well, why was he going to send Timothy? He's going to send Timothy because he was committed to discipleship. And I want us to see how Timothy was involved in discipleship relationships. And he's a, he's a great example for us uh, to follow. Paul, uh, Timothy was kind of the man in the middle. He had Paul who was discipling him above him and, and entrusting him with the things of God and the word of God. And then Timothy took those things that Paul had given to him and he, he just didn't hold on to those. He wasn't just a, a sponge. He took those things and then entrusted them to the Philippians and to others. He was... He was an example for us. And Paul had, Paul had picked up uh, Timothy in Acts chapter number 16, and he, he took this man to, to join him in the ministry, he began to disciple him. And by the time we get to where we are in Philippians, it's been like 10 years. 10 years since Timothy joined his team back in Acts chapter number 16. Can you imagine 16 years of walking with the Apostle Paul? You'd come out different on the other side, and that's what happened to Timothy. He's mature in his faith. And look what he says in verse 20. He says, when I think about who would be the best person to send to minister to you and to continue this work of discipleship in your life, he says, I can't think of anything better, any person better than Timothy. Why? Verse 20, he says, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for you to be involved in your life. He says he's like-minded. Timothy is like-minded with me. Literally, the, the word means to be of one soul with the Apostle Paul. You ever thought, what does it mean to be one soul with somebody? It just means that Timothy had the same heartbeat that Paul had. The same passion, the same pursuit, the same ambition. The things, the things that were on Paul's heart, the things of Christ had been placed and were entrusted to Timothy. And they were on his heart as well. They were one soul and, and like-minded. Paul had reproduced himself into a life of Timothy, and now he was a fully trained disciple. And that's the whole goal of discipleship, isn't it? To, to reproduce ourselves into others. And at this point, I just imagine Timothy, uh, did, he, did he minister like the Apostle Paul? Probably. He probably prayed like the Apostle Paul. He probably taught like the Apostle Paul. He probably handled difficulty in the same manner, in the same way. He had some of the, the mannerisms that the Apostle Paul would have had as well. And so Paul's telling the church, hey, don't be bummed that, you're, that I'm not coming to minister to you. Don't be bummed that you're not getting me personally because you're getting Timothy and he's like Paul 2.0. He's, just a, he's like Paul Jr. in a sense. In 1 Corinthians 4, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Paul told the church at Corinth, he says, I want you to imitate me. Imitate me as I'm following Christ, and I want you to do that, so I'm going to send to you Timothy, and he will remind you of my ways. Timothy knew the ways of Paul. Paul knew the ways of Christ. If, if Timothy, if, if the church of Corinth or the church of Philippi followed Timothy, they'd be following Paul. If they're following Paul, they're following Christ. So that's what happened. Paul had invested in this man, Timothy, and now Timothy was investing in others. I love verse 20. He says, he is genuinely concerned for you. It's not just, hey guys, I'm going to come by and hope you're doing well and, and check on you when I get there. And okay, you guys are doing great. And uh, I'm going to go back now and see the Apostle Paul. It wasn't superficial like that. 
He genuinely considered concern for them. The word means to, to be worrisome. Uh, to be means to be anxious. It's the same word you use in chapter 4, verse 6. If, you, if maybe your Bible is like mine, you can just look over. We know verse 6 of chapter 4 so well when Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to the Lord. What's it like whenever you're anxious about something? What's it like? I know it's like for me. I'm anxious. This just like consumes my mind. Whatever the worry is, whatever the fear is that I have, whatever's going on, it, it can consume me. It just gets in my mind and rattles around in there and I can't get it out. It just, it's, sometimes it's so bad that there are times where it affects you physically. Or people get ulcers because they worry, they're anxious, or they can't sleep at night. Sometimes it happens to me. There's just something on my mind and I can't get it out. And so God says there to trust and pray. And so how come, when I read this, it's, okay, I get that's, that's the way the, that Timothy felt about them. He was anxious and concerned. How come it's okay to be, uh, you know, how come in chapter 4, Paul says, don't be anxious, but let your request be known to the Lord. He says, don't do that. But in chapter 2, we're talking about Timothy, he's holding him up as an example. He's anxious, he's anxious, and that's okay. Why? Because in chapter 4, it's not okay to be so consumed and so self-focused about our own hearts and our own desires and what's going on in my life. That's not okay. We want to give those to the Lord. But it's good. It's noble. It's appropriate to be concerned and anxious for other people. That they are walking with Christ and they're being trained and they're growing in their walk with the Lord. Paul says that the weight of the, the shoulders of the church are weighs upon me and, and who is sick or who is hurting without me knowing. He, he was anxious and concerned. So was Timothy. He was burdened for this church at Philippi. And he wanted to see them progress in their faith. In verse 21, this is kind of sad. Unfortunately, you find somebody like that that's actually anxious and burdened for others and genuinely concerned. It's rare. It's too often, it's rare in my life that my natural bent is towards me and to lean into self and to not lean into others. And verse 21 says, Paul, he said, I can't find anybody else that I would go. I can't find anyone else that would go and, and be concerned for you like Timothy would. Why? Because they're all seeking after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know if Timothy went door to door and, and knocked on them and they had the door slammed in his face. He says, no, I'm not going to care for the Philippians. I got, I got too much to do today or I don't, have, I'm not, I don't have time. I don't know how that happened. But Timothy was committed to discipleship and he would go. And this has been such a huge principle and point in my own life. Uh, the person who discipled me the most, his name was is Greg Harris. And he was a pastor of mine. He was a seminary professor as well. As well. And I met him in, in uh, 2003. And in 2003, God just knitted our hearts together. And, and we uh, just started kind of informal discipleship relationship. It wasn't like we sat down and, and went through a book together, even though sometimes we might have done that. We just hung out, and, and I was in his home, and he was in my home, and we played sports together and played tennis together, and then we would, we would uh, do ministry together. He'd give me feedback, and we'd talk about all things with family and prayer and all the things that means just follow Christ. And it was just such a joy and delight. Well, this went on for about nine years, and then I had a chance to pastor my, my first church in, in New York. And uh, whenever I was there, I found so often that, uh, that I, man, I began to to, I'd picked up some Greg Harris mannerisms. And I, I would teach like, I didn't even realize it, but just nine years of being around somebody, that kind of happens. And I would teach like him, or sometimes I would use words that he used, or, or phrases that he used. And then I remember one day that um, 
our church, we invited uh, Greg to come and actually preach at our church. And he was standing up and he was preaching and teaching and praying. And I got so embarrassed. I was like, oh my goodness. The whole church is going to know that Ricky's like a Greg Harris 2.0. And, and he he's talks like him and he ministers like him. And he's like, does he have any original thoughts of his own? No, probably not. It was embarrassing. But all I was trying to do was it just happened. You know, it's kind of like our parents. We just pick up what they do. And uh, I just was taking the things that he entrusted to me as he followed Christ and was trying to give those to uh, the church that God had entrusted to me. So let me ask you, what about you, though? Are you committed to discipleship? You say, what does that look like in my life? And I just jotted down three things. To be committed to discipleship, have to be involved in those kind of relationships. Jesus discipled, Paul discipled, Timothy discipled, and now it's our turn. We've got to be involved with discipleship. So I have to ask, who is the Paul that's in your life? Who's that person that's investing into you and, and pouring into you? Because every person needs somebody who's older in the faith or just has a few more ministry miles or, or faith miles on the tread of their tires, that they've, they've walked further with Christ. Somebody's going to help you go from the tell me what to show me how in your life. We believe that so strongly at Harvest. We actually have small groups to foster and facilitate that. So let me just encourage you to start there. If you're saying, I don't have that person, but I want to, where would I go? And ask your small group leader. Or if there's an apprentice that's in your small group, or there's a, or there's a Paul, whoever's going to be in there that's a, an older, that they can minister to you, that be the Paul in your life or, or be the Paulette in your life, whoever that's going to be. You want to have somebody that in, in your life. But don't stop there. Who's your Timothy? Who's the person that you're investing in? Who's following you as you follow Christ? Because if you're going to live for the gospel, it means to be committed to discipleship. And I know that sounds scary. Uh, it does for me to think that, that I'm going to have an impact on somebody else's life. Yeah. Because you know what? You may not think it, but you, you bring something to the table, spiritually speaking. That there is somebody that knows less than you do about Scripture, about following Christ. And so... You have to step up. And if you feel inadequate about that, just join the club because everybody does. The issue is not us being adequate. The issue is us being faithful and obedient to what God has called us to do. So maybe God is calling some of us, some of you, to step up in this area and to begin to, who is a person I'm discipling? I don't think that he, I know that God is calling some of us to do that because we need you. I need you in my life and others need you in their life. And God is growing you and he intends to use you in the life of others to help them be the godly mom the godly single mom that's struggling or the godly parents or the godly husband or wife that God wants him to be, wants us to be. So find a Timothy. And the third, I would say, sacrifice for others. Sacrifice. It's incredibly sad in verse 21 for Paul to say that no one else would go to Philippi. That no one else would set aside their own plans, their own agenda to invest in others. And I hope you're saying to yourself, Lord, Lord, I don't ever want that to be said of me by my spiritual leaders. When, this, when the leaders of my church get around together and they say, who is the person that we might be able to ask to, to come over here on a Saturday night because you're starting Saturday church? Who's gonna, who would who, who we get together that's going to come over here and watch these children in, in, in children's church or in Harvest Kids so that their, their parents can be discipled and this person can grow and be a godly mom and a godly, or a godly father? And who would those people be? And my name never even came to the list. They never thought about me. They never said that would be the person because I am so committed and constantly looking after my own interests. 
I want to be at the top of that list. God, change my heart. Please keep working and change my heart to cause me to live for the gospel. I want to be known as somebody who's committed to discipleship, that I care about what's others before me. So commit to discipleship. Number two, as we're trying to, to, live, to live for the gospel, what does it mean? Pursue faithfulness. Pursue faithfulness. Paul goes on in, in verse 22, and he gives us a, another glimpse of what it looks like to live for the gospel. And he, he talks about Timothy's faithfulness. He's telling in verse 22, he says, you know, you know. This is something that I'm not telling you, it's new news. You know about Timothy, of his proven worth. He's just saying, I want you to know that Timothy's not a rookie. This is not his first rodeo. This is not his first time when I'm sending to minister to you. He's, he's had some ministry experience. He's, he's been proven. Proven in the sense of tested by fire is what the word would be conveying there. Just saying that Timothy had gone through a, a furnace of adversity. He had gone through, he had hard times of ministry. And he'd come out on the other side of that with proven character and, and proven worth and tenacity and perseverance for uh, the ministry. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to get the wrong idea about Timothy. You know, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to him and he says, you know, God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power. And uh, sometimes we get that verse and we think that Timothy, because of that, that Timothy was a, was a coward or that Timothy was a pushover or that Timothy was a, a girly man of some kind. Man, Timothy was far from that, far from that. This is when Paul picked up somebody and put them on his ministry team. He was looking and he was extremely selective. He was looking for men who had a stomach to stick out ministry because it was tough. It was hard. He looked with people who had the, the highest caliber of character and dedication, who had a, a formidable presence of faithfulness in their life. And Timothy made the cut. It's not only that Timothy made the cut, he was like an elite special forces soldier. He was like the top of the list. The guy was phenomenal. He was great. So Timothy, he wasn't a girly man. No way. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter number 17, Again, you don't have to turn over there, but maybe spend some time later on. Acts 17, uh, Paul goes to Thessalonica to preach. And he's preaching, and people are coming to Christ, and they're being saved. And a church is formed there and built up. And, I mean, things are just going great. And so all of a sudden, the, the unbelieving Jews in the city of Thessalonica, man, they, they just they got all upset. And uh, they just the text says they threw the city into an uproar. I mean, things started getting crazy there. They, it got so bad, they actually dragged out like Jason like, out of his home and, and took him before the authorities. And, and they were just about to level down some punishment and bring the gauntlet down on them. It was hard. It was so terrible. It got so um, chaotic that the believers said, Paul, you can't stay here. Paul, we got to get you and your team out of here. We got to evacuate you. So they evacuated Paul and Timothy and his team under the cover of darkness and got them out of Thessalonica. It was crazy. He just barely got out. Well, then when they got to the next city, Paul is burdened for them. He says, hey, we got out alive, but how are the Thessalonians doing? Are they doing okay? And so in 1 Thessalonians 3, we kind of get some more info on that. He says, I got to check on you. I'm burdened for you. How are they doing? I got to know. I got to know. And so he says, you know, I don't, Timothy, Timothy, will you go back? Timothy, will you go back and check on them? Will you go back into the lion's den to go and check on the Thessalonians? Will you go back to ground zero of chaos and check on the church of Thessalonica, Thessalonica? And Timothy's like, yeah, I'll go. I'll put my neck on the line for them. I will go strengthen them and edify them. And that's Timothy's character. 
Listen, he, was, he was a man of proven worth, and it seems as though everybody in the early church knew about this man, Timothy, of his, of his reputation of faithfulness. But I love what he says in verse uh, 22. Yeah, Timothy was a, was a proven soldier, um, but I love the tenderness, what he says there, that he serves with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child um, serving uh, his father. There's a tenderness for that, right? That he's just saying that on all the years and all the ministry miles that we did together for Timothy, it never became a burden for him. It seems as though you never found Timothy grumbling or disputing or trying to do things his own way. He just loved and thrived being on Paul's team. They were co-laborers in this side by side. Yeah, Paul was his leader, but they had the same general, Jesus Christ. They were in there together for that. He was a fellow soldier he says, like a child serving his father. They weren't in competition. Timothy wasn't trying to do his own thing or, or, or constantly kicking against them. He said, I think we should do this. We should do this. Let's go here do that. None of that. He was submissive. He learned a family trade, so to speak, from Paul of making disciples. And he did it with joy. That's faithfulness, isn't it? That's amazing. It reminds me of when I was growing up and working in the yard with my dad. And I'm not going to tell you that I got out there and worked in the yard with my dad uh, with the same kind of lack of grumbling and disputing that Timothy had. I did my fair share of that. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but we had a large yard. We had three acres that we had to mow. And three acres, when you're 10 years old, might as well be 300, right? It's just huge. And so we would get out there on Saturdays and work with my dad and uh, mowing the grass and using a weed whacker or, or digging a ditch or whatever had to be done. And, and I did my fair share of grumbling. And my younger brother and I, we had our, you know, our, our problems and with that as well. But uh, and I wish I wasn't as faithful as Timothy was. But I enjoyed being out there with my dad and working on the same team with him. And it was, it, was, it was a partnership in that. It, it was a joy. We're going to get this thing done together. We're going to have the best yard in the neighborhood. We wanted that to be how it was. And sometimes my dad had to work on Saturdays, and he couldn't help out. And so we didn't trust that to myself and my brother and I to get out there and get that done. And, uh, man, when my dad came home, I wanted him to be proud of that. I want him to see that I didn't go off doing my own thing. I didn't mow the, the yard like reverse or anything like that. I mowed it the way he taught me to mow it. I did what he told me to do. Because I wanted to be proud. We were in this together. I wasn't trying to carve my own niche. I wanted to follow his leadership. That's how it is in ministry. That's how it was for Paul and, and, and Timothy. How about you and how about me, though? Are we pursuing faithfulness to the gospel? Timothy, this is a convicting to me. It just breaks me down in this area. So how can we live? How can we live for the gospel in the way that he was? Let me just give you a couple of suggestions. Number one, persevere through trials. Persevere through trials. Just asking, God, would you, as I'm praying and getting low before you, would you just help me to be sticky when it comes to and persevering in the role and the jobs and responsibilities you've given to me in my walk with Christ? Just give me stickiness and perseverance in that. And listen, I've got three kids at, at home and trying to lead them as, as a husband. And some of you maybe don't have a husband, and you're a single mom or something along those lines. And, and what happens when you're a dad, if you're trying to do those devotions with your children, you're trying to do, this is the role that God's given to me to do, to be a leader in my home. And, and the kids, they don't always just jump up from the table, super duper excited. I can't wait to get in the Word of God today with you, Dad. No, it's like pulling teeth sometimes to get them to sit down and listen to that. And it can get... Uh, discouraging. Like, man, don't you know I'm trying to lead here? I'm trying to minister to you. Sit down and listen to the word of God. Hey, listen, stay in the game on that. Persevere in that. If your efforts to share the gospel with people that you know, 
and you're trying to share it with them and, and it comes up empty. Or they reject what you have to say even though you're trying to share the truth with them. Or you're talking to them about the gospel and the, the words that you had planned and you had your outline that you wanted to share that just does not come out the way you intended to come out. And you're like, it was the worst gospel presentation I could ever give you I'll throw in the towel. Man, don't give in on that. Don't give in. I love what Proverbs 24, 16 says, Oh, the righteous man falls seven times. He always gets up. I'm paraphrasing. He rises again. If your ministry that God's given to you isn't as fruitful as you like it to be, an attempt to say, I'm just going to throw in it. This is not accomplishing anything. What's going on here? Don't give up on that. Persevere in that. Get back on, as we say, get back on the line of scrimmage and run the next play and, and get back on there and be faithful in that. Let your proven worth, your character, be seen to all, like Timothy's was. Second, I would say, pay attention to uh, the details. Listen, whatever it is that God has entrusted to you, however small it might appear to others, let me encourage you, don't you ever let it become small in your own eyes. Now, make that big. Make it big in your eyes. Whatever it is that God's entrusted to you, I'm going to apply myself to it. I'm going to give myself over to that. I'm going to be accountable to others for what God has given to me. And so if I'm just a, I'm just a small group um, person in my small group, and I'm going to be faithful to come and show up on time. My, my homework is to be accomplished and completed. I'm ready to go from serving at Harvest Kids next week. And I'm going to show up prepared, early, ready to go, prayed up, ready to serve these kids. Or if I'm working out in the parking lot and I am trying to direct people in there and this is my way of making disciples is to make sure they know where to, to pull in and to get in here so they can hear the word of God. Man, don't be out there. Don't come, come rain, come, come snow, come sleet. It ought to take a tornado to get you out from being in the parking lot. Serving people and get them to come in to hear the word of God. And third, be a team player like uh, Timothy was. Are you an easy person to come alongside of and minister together? And Timothy set a great example, didn't he? He submitted to Paul, his leader, with joy. He didn't grumble. Apparently did not complain about uh, small things or nitpick or get upset about small things. And God used him to bear a lot of, lot of fruit. Listen, working with a team can either be the greatest joy in your life or one of the biggest pains in the neck. And I think it comes down to this is, is whether I'm trying to live for the kingdom of God and pursue faithfulness in that, or I'm trying to live for my own personal little kingdom and, and make that and, and carve out my own thing and, and do that. So pursue faithfulness. And number three, I encourage you to, from God's word here, to risk for Christ. We talked a lot about Timothy, but there's another man I want you to meet here in verse 25. This man, Epaphroditus. Paul mentions him over there in verse 25. Again, Paul's in prison and he wants to go. He wants to be with the church of Philippi, but he can't. So he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I'm going to send him as soon as I can. I'm going to send Timothy as soon as I can in the future, but I want to send him right now. I'm sending Epaphroditus to you right now. He's going to go back to you. Epaphroditus was from Philippi and, and he had come. They had sent him to the Apostle Paul to minister and care for him while he was in prison and to deliver some financial gifts to him as well. And uh, 
It's kind of like this is, is, is if we, when we send somebody off to the mission field, you know, we, we all can maybe take off a week from work next week, but uh, we can support the person who's going to go to Bangladesh or wherever they're going to go. I'm like, I can support you and the work that you do. I, I have a partnership in that. I, can, I go along with you, even though I'm not physically going, you're going and I'm supporting you to go. And that's kind of what the church at Philippi had done. We can't all go to minister the Apostle Paul in prison, but you can go, Epaphroditus. You can go on our behalf. And that's what Epaphroditus did. And now Paul is going to send him back. There's a lot that we could say about him, but I really want you to see this, that he risked everything for Christ. He risked everything for him. Look at verse 27. It says that Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. Sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. In verse 30, it says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. And here's the word, risking his life to complete what was deficient risked his life to complete the mission that this church had given to him. So he had he'd gotten sick at some point in the journey, whether it was on his way to minister to the Apostle Paul or during his time with the Apostle Paul, he had become deathly ill. I mean, he was knocking on death's doorstep. He had one foot in the grave, Paul is saying. But so he kept on going. He might have been tempted to throw in the towel and give up and you know, I'm sick, and so this is God just showed me I need to go home. He's like, no, I'm sticking with that. He persevered. He came war- close to death to complete. Hey, I want to complete the mission that the church at Philippi gave to me. And so he went. In verse 30, he said he risked his life. Risk, in the word, risk would be the word that we would use for, like, you'd use it for gambling. You would say, he would say, he rolled the dice, Epaphroditus did, with his own life. He put his life in harm's way to complete this mission. He laid it all out there for the sake of the word of God and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He left his friends. He left his home. He left his job. He left his church to go care for Paul. He made an 800, 800 mile journey, probably on foot to go and be identified with a man who was in prison, whose life itself was on the line. He may lose his life and to be identified with somebody whose life was going to be possibly taken from him. That was dangerous as well. He got deathly sick and could have turned back, but he decided to deliver the offering and care, and, for, and the caring for the Apostle Paul was more valuable than his own life. He was willing to throw his life away for this, but he was not willing to waste it. He wasn't wasting his life. He was using and throwing, giving his life for it. That's what the gospel calls us to do, isn't it? When Jesus says to take up your cross and follow me, that's, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about having a funeral for my desires and my agenda and to lose them for the sake of Christ and the sake of the gospel. And that's what Epaphroditus did. I remember there was a day in seminary uh, where one of my classmates, he brought a dear brother in Christ to come to class that day. And I would never forget that it was a day that I would never, it's just etched in the mind that this man was leaving that very week. That week this man was leaving to go be a missionary in North Korea. North Korea of all places. He's going. This man was Korean. He was burdened for them. And he was going that week as a missionary because he wanted them to know Jesus Christ. I remember that day we prayed for him and we sent him out of class that day knowing we may never see this man again this side of heaven. We may never meet him again. And he himself knew and he himself testified on that day 
And most likely, he's going to give his life early on in his ministry. He wasn't going to have a long ministry in North Korea. Those ministries are short, but he's willing to give his life for that. I remember being so convicted over that. God, what am I spending my life for? What am I convicted about? What am I passionate about? What am I willing to risk my life for? It made me feel just this big of, in the presence of this man who was just doing something amazing for Christ. Because I don't like risk. And I'm guessing, if you're like me, you don't like risk either. We have car alarms. We have home alarms. We have locks on every single door. We have identity theft protection. We have risk management departments. I've got so many passwords around my life, I can't keep them straight. They're all over the place because I don't like that. I don't like risk. I want things to be safe and secure. But the gospel, living for the gospel, is to risk for the gospel. Risking and trusting that God is good and whatever he decides is right and worth it. I know for most of us, that's not going to mean being a missionary to North Korea or somewhere dangerous like that. But I wish, we, wish I, wish we would, would have that, hey, God, if you send me there or whatever it is, I, I'm willing to go. But it does mean living a life of willing sacrifice for others. Uh, John Piper in his book, I believe is Don't Waste Your Life. I love that book. He, he really influenced me here when I was thinking about this. But Piper defined risk as this. An action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. An action that exposes you to the possibility of loss and injury. Well, listen, if you invest in others, if you disciple people, if you are faithful and pursuing faithful, if you are trying to love, biblically love others, if you're willing to let life get a little bit messy because I'm trying to minister, I'm trying to make disciples and be faithful, and that you are going to expose yourself to loss or injury. You are. But let me tell you this, that you can spend your life on a thousand trivial things that will do nothing, no spiritual good to you or anyone else. But there's only one thing, and we would, we would live for one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the one thing that will last for eternity and is worth risking and giving our life for. The Christ is exalted in my life or in my death. That is the goal, for to live is Christ and to die is gain, Paul says in Philippians. So what are you laying your life down for? What are you spending yourself on right now? Listen, the life is too short, right? And the mission that we have been entrusted by Jesus Christ is far too profound for us to stay on the porch and just play it safe with all our alarms and protection and risk management. And you and I, we don't need a, another hobby to, to use our time on. I don't need that. Uh, we need a vision a vision to follow after in the example of these men right here and to live and give our lives and spend our lives on something far greater than ourselves as making disciples. So what are you investing in? What are you giving yourself over to? Let me just give you a couple of categories to consider as you're thinking about that and asking God to show you and show me. This is so much for me. Where are you investing your, with your finances? The resources that God has entrusted to you, he's entrusted them to me and he expects a return on those to bear maximum fruit. And I praise God for what God is doing here in Harvest Bible Chapel and Barry and others like that are being planted and lives changed. And praise God. But ask yourself, have I gotten to the place 
where it can be said that I am risking or I'm sacrificing for that mission of making disciples for what's on God's heart. Have I risked for that? Exposed myself for that? Second, what are you investing your time and energy into? These are just questions just to prime the pump and say, God, help me to see. There's an old saying that said that no man ever lamented on his dying bed. I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. Nobody says that. When we're lying there, money looks pretty pointless, but relationships look pretty precious, don't they? So spend your life on those. Spend your life on people that others will know Jesus Christ and delight in Jesus Christ. And then third, another question, what are you dreaming of when it comes to Christ? And just what are you passionate about? What wakes you up in the morning when you're thinking about that? What is on your heart? What are you praying for? What are you burdened for? What do you want to see God do in your life and the life of your family and your friends? I believe that God answers our prayer. If we want God to move, then we have to pray. I believe that God would not withhold the, the plans and prayers we have to see him exalted and others come to know him. So I just want to ask you, will you join with me in just praying, God, would you do big things through us? God, would you give us grace to take big risks for you in my life? Would you do that? I love the line from a famous missionary that said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I hope it stirs your heart up this morning to live for the gospel. I hope that Timothy and Epaphroditus, I hope you don't walk away from here thinking they're the heroes because they're not. The only hero in scripture is, is Jesus Christ, right? But he lays those out for us as, as two people. Look, these two guys will point you to the path what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Because there's power and example. Because they, we need people to show us to move from tell me what to show me how. And it can't stop with Timothy. It can't stop with Epaphroditus. Every single one of us is needed to be godly examples that we are committing ourselves to discipleship and others can see it that we are pursuing faithfulness and others can see it and they can follow after us, that we want to risk for Christ and other people can see that and they can follow our example. We need a hundred, we need a thousand of those people so we can make disciples. So we commit to doing that. We let us, we let us follow your example as you follow Christ. Pray that be your prayer today as you go home and my prayer, God changed me, made me different and we live for the right things. Let's pray Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Philippians. God, we thank you that you understand our hearts. Um, God, that our hearts, we, we, we can't just have the tell me what, Lord. We, we just can't have uh, that as important. We, Lord, you, you, you understand it. You, you've made us. You've created us. You know that we, it's, we, we benefit so much from seeing others and how they and how they walk from Christ and benefit from that. You've placed us in the body of Christ. You've given us the word, everything that we need, but you are so gracious. You have put us into the body of Christ as well so that we can have other believers, brothers, sisters in Christ who are, who are also trying to follow you. And Lord, so we do so, so imperfectly. And God, I pray that you would just take these truths and burn them into my heart. Uh, Lord, may help us to be committed to these things. They would just be part of who we are, the same passion that we have. And God, you would change us today through these well, we cannot do that on our own. We need your grace in our life. So help us to get low before you, praying these things, making them the call of our life. 
We pray you will be glorified, not to our name be the glory, but to the name, to the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.